everyone, Craig here. Uh, this is going to be a breakdown uh, behind the scenes of my most recent film, Hiking 100 Miles in Alaska. There's a lot to talk about because I usually do one of these in video form at the end of each hiking film, but I decided, meh, not today. I'm just going to try and do it in audio and podcast form and see how that works. So let's see it. I am still in Alaska right now. I'm recording this in another cabin in a different area of the state, getting ready to do a second hike, but it is raining outside. As I look at the, the lake outside my cabin window, I see the water droplets. So I'm probably going to delay it by another day just because I want good weather for the hike. I had done a little bit of research on hikes in Alaska, but I didn't have any plan to come up here, especially during with the lockdown and coronavirus and everything going on. But a person reached out, John, who has his own plane and channel. He was originally flying up from Florida to Alaska in his two-seater, very small plane, and asked if I wanted to join him. And uh, the plan was to link up in Seattle, which we did. And then we kind of hopscotched our way up the coast through Canada up to Alaska. I shot a lot of footage from that journey. It was like a road trip in the sky. So I'm probably going to make that into a video or add it into... Uh, the main section of my next life update video, like life update from Alaska, which I'm thinking about doing, but we'll see. I've had a wonderful time here. You know, it's it's really challenged all my preconceived notions of what life in Alaska is like, uh, especially during these times. It's been super nice to just be able to go to bars and restaurants and like interact with people. There are way less masks up here. Uh, it's just a different way of life. I've never seen more guns in my life before. So many planes, so many four-wheelers, so many RVs. And honestly, I think this year is going to be massive for domestic road trip, RV, camping, van life uh, style. If you're making videos about these topics, they're going to blow up. If you're selling RVs or renting them out or have any part of that industry, I think you're going to see a massive increase this summer as people decide not to fly and stay home and just do road trips. So I'm very interested in that aspect of life. It might be fun just to rent an RV or to get some kind of truck with a bubble back camper thing and travel around the U.S. for the next couple of months. So we'll see. I'm definitely going to try to link up with Squirt, my brother, Squirty Curtis, Curtis Adams, because uh, he's heading out to Colorado as we speak. So that's probably where I'm going to head after here. But yeah, the start of my hike was in a very small town of like 200 people on the southern tip of the Kenai, Kenai Peninsula, Kenai it was so wonderful staying in town because there's like legit one bar, uh, three restaurants and just like, that's it. <laughs> there's a couple little hikes around town and it was so nice to just be in like an isolated local place. I'm a New Yorker, so I'm so very used to just ignoring everyone. 
but in this small town, everyone stops you and says hello, and they go even further from that. They're like, "Hello, I'm Barb. What's your name?" And then you have like a conversation with every single person you come across, just because it's such a small local community. So that was very interesting. Like I stayed there before and after my hike for a couple of days, and every single bartender or waitress or person behind the cash register that I like bought breakfast from or coffee or beer. They all knew my name, so it was so funny, so silly. So the start of the hike was from that small town. We boarded、uh, John's tiny little plane, his、uh, experimental. I don't know what they call it. I'm learning about planes. Like that's the one thing about this trip. Like I feel like I've gotten a crash course on. Small planes and aviation. John is definitely trying to get me to、uh, get my license, and so technically the hike started from Saldana that morning. We boarded John's two-seater plane, and we took off.、Uh, the weather was okay. You know, you could see in the video that there were just spots of blue light and、uh, a couple rays of sunshine coming down, but it was mainly overcast, which was okay. You know, as I could handle that. We we landed in a town, a very small town called Hope, which is a little like two hours away from Anchorage across the bay. He landed the plane on the small strip. I got out, and then he took off, and I made this quick walk on the road over to the trailhead. And I will say I didn't include it in the video, but、um, a man in a pickup truck with the most adorable white fluffy dog. Gilska, she comes. Gilska, oh, hello, so pretty. All right, thank you, sir. Um, he picked me up and brought me like a mile down the road, just out of courtesy, and that's just the way things happen in Alaska. Like, Elska,、right. no, now we have to go to the post office. Elska. All right. Thanks、come、for the、on. ride, Gordon. Yeah, you bet. Thank you、bet. very much. Take care. Okay, come on. See you, pup. Slow it up. I've never hitchhiked more in my life than in the past two weeks, and everyone is so friendly. Like even during these times, like. I could not imagine getting picked up hitchhiking in like the lower 48 right now, especially New York, anywhere in the state,、uh, just because people would be wary of any strangers. But up here in Alaska, things are just way different. And I made it to the Resurrection Pass Trail. In my research, this is one that kind of pops up if you if you Google hikes in Alaska, like long distance hikes. I think it's about thirty forty miles、uh, across, and then I added on some other things like the Russian Lakes Trail, and then this little like wilderness trail that I found that brings me down towards the glacier near、uh, Seward. But、um, Steph, the owner of the bar in the small town,、uh, John's girlfriend, had actually recommended this trail because she、uh, she mountain bikes it a lot, which is super cool.、Um, that she, you know, she had already done the research and told me and showed me pictures of what it looked like and recommended it. So the quality of the trail was definitely more a little wider than what I was used to. So for mountain biking. And I definitely passed more mountain bikers than actual hikers on this trail. An ideal trail for me is a little more difficult than what I faced here.、Um, I would much rather like to hike and shoot a video on a trail that is only accessible by foot. 
Like I've looked into other hikes like the Annapurna Circuit, and what I keep hearing is that they keep widening the trail uh, to allow Jeeps and like 4x4s to get up and down most of the trail, um, except the pass at the very top. And that's a little discouraging, you know. It's it's fun if you go on hikes and get to see things that not many people get to see because they have to get there by foot. Once you start introducing, you know, wider paths that allow bikes and small carts, four-wheelers, and then eventually trucks, you know, it kind of defeats the purpose. I get it because it allows people to bring more supplies up to the trail and allows, like, resorts to happen and, you know, tea houses and stuff, but... I don't know, I'm particular about the <laughs> the foot or the mule. Like things that have to be carried by horses, I think is the most I would be happy with, you know, trail width size-wise. So the story structure of this edit um, is always interesting to me because in a perfect world, I'd like to just do a chronological story. I think that's the simplest, most straightforward uh, way to do this. Um, but I find myself doing like a cinematic introduction overview with drone footage, and then I get into the chronological foot uh, ground um, footage. And this just harps back to the idea that I want to hook people who don't necessarily understand what my footage is like. They don't really subscribe or know what. They're just coming upon this video for the first time, and I want to try to hook them within the first minute which I think I do. I think the footage, the drone footage, gives a good overview of the entire hike. It can be a little confusing because I had like the pit stop um, halfway to resupply. Some people were confused if all of the drone footage was before then. So they were like, how did you recharge your drone? Like there, there was a little confusion as far as where I actually went and what that, how that drone footage matches up to the rest of the hike, which I understand, you know, it's, it's especially confusing when I get dropped off and picked up by a plane in different cities. So that's okay. You know, there, at the end of the day, there is an all trails map link in the description and you could click on that and very quickly understand the itinerary, the route. Um, so it's not the end of the world. And then I also had a couple comments of people saying that they thought that the drone footage was rushed, um, which I can get, you know, I don't usually like to cut uh, my clips to the music uh, on the beat, but I think with drone footage and such a strong introduction track, I kind of have to. It's definitely more of like a music video feeling, if you know what I mean. All of the other clips were just edited natively, and then I laid the music underneath as the last step. And I think that's more of a natural, uh, better feeling than when you cut to the music. And then I had someone asking why I didn't just put the drone footage in line with the ground footage hiking, you know, chronologically. And that's kind of what I would like to do. But every time I try, it just doesn't feel right. And that's because the drone footage is an overview of the entire hike. I try to space it out. I try to shoot every time there's a beautiful new view above. Uh, every time I'm trying to show like the bigger picture of where I am, what it looks like and where I'm going to in the distance, like 10 miles down the trail. And for every drone shot that I put up and shoot, I also shoot a tripod shot down on the ground just because it's such a beautiful area. And that beautiful area inspires me to put the drone up. So it's almost like I have duplicates. So I would almost rather show both 
in some way. And having an introduction with just drone footage, I think allows me to do that. And there's also the problem of audio. It is possible to record, you know, sound effects fully atmosphere for the drone, but it's actually trickier than you think. You can't just record sound on the ground and then try to match it with up in the air. You have to mix the EQs differently um, so that the wind sound is increased, you know, the lows are increased, the hot, uh, treble is decreased. There's an art to it and I wouldn't want to just copy and paste that wind sound on every single drone clip. Maybe in the future I'll be able to figure out a way to put drone footage in with the edit. And it, it just definitely takes a certain type of hike to do. Like the Hornstrandir Iceland film was the most successful example of drone footage in line with hiking footage, but it was done a little differently. It's like, hmm, I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough one. Let me know what you think. Color. So if you know me, you know how stubborn I am, how minimalist I am with my color. I did not use any picture profile. I used no LUTs, I used no color grading, and everything I shot was in camera, even the photos, JPEGs. So I do this for the sake of simplicity and uh, minimalism and to demonstrate that you don't need to do anything crazy. If you focus on the fundamentals of exposure and composition, uh, you can get good footage if you have a story. I also recorded this entire film on one color temperature, 5600. Uh, I'm kind of inspired by Ozark, which shot, I think, a bit lower than that. Uh, it really messes with the colors, especially if you have tungsten fluorescent bulbs, but pretty much everything in this film was shot with daylight in a sense. And because of Alaska <laughs> during May, uh, June into June, the days are very long. So I had way more sunlight than I was used to. And I think it's a blessing and a curse because I was able to hike for longer periods of time, which I did, you know, I had very long days, but part of hiking films is the beauty of sunrise and sunset. Sometimes it's hard to get up early enough to see the sunrise or to, you know, be somewhere up high, ready to capture the beautiful skies and, and colors of sunset. Uh, but hiking allows you to do that. And I think that's one of the reasons why people love to hike. But I got almost none of that on this hike because I just couldn't match up my sleep schedule. Like I would have legit had to um, make separate alarms to wake up uh, while I was sleeping to capture some sort of sunrise sunset colors. And some of the times it was just raining, so I had overcast and didn't have any of it. So it was a bummer that I didn't really do that. I think I had like one shot in the cabin during the night. But you can definitely tell that I was struggling with capturing some kind of transition for the days. Uh, it can be a little confusing to know what is sunset and sunrise, you know, what's the start of the next day. Uh, I tried to do that with me waking up in the tent. I tried to do that with like shooting up at the, the sky, some kind of transition shot, but it was more difficult than usual with this film. This was the first time that I shot with my new camera, the Sony A6600. It's kind of like my previous camera, the Sony A7 Mark III, but much smaller, well, a bit smaller and lighter. 
and it makes up for it just because I can pair it with a much smaller lens, the 10 to 18, which with this cropped sensor is like a 16 to 35, which is what I had before. It's what I always shoot on. That's just like a magical focal length for me to tell like good POV, you know, tripod shots. I really love that combination. And I'm really, really happy with this camera. Uh, I think that Almost nobody would be able to tell that I made the switch unless, you know, I'm doing some stuff in super low light, which I didn't do too much of. But yeah, the camera is great. Um, the autofocus is fine. Everything is pretty much the same or similar. Uh, I like that it's a continuous um, record. There's no limit. So right now, as I record this on my microphone attached to my camera, it's showing me 27 minutes. So, you know, it's very nice to just be able to record like a camcorder and not have the four gigabyte limit. The flip screen is a nice addition, but once you have a big microphone, especially with a, a dead cat on it, it kind of is impossible to see the screen flipped up. So that's, it is what it is. I'm very used to not using a flip screen, so it's not the end of the world. But for ultralight hiking, backpacking, this camera combination and microphone is just fantastic. I love being able to have this ultralight weight, small, compact camera that really packs a punch. Like it, it looks beautiful. The screen is good enough for me to see what I'm shooting and make micro adjustments as I did with my Sony a7 Mark III. Um, but like I said, it's smaller and lighter, which is what I'm always looking for. For more typical filmmakers who have like a studio setup or they're shooting in their house or just, you know, they have a car so they can transport stuff, you know, you don't need to go small, ultra light weight. So you can do different things, but for hiking, oh man, I love this combination. I also had a new drone. This is the first time that I shot with the DJI Mavic Air 2. And once again, I'm super happy with this change, you know, much smaller and lighter than the Mavic 2 Pro. There is a, a small dip in quality, but I think once again, you know, it's trade-offs uh, for me to have a much lighter and smaller uh, drone package with two extra batteries, three in total, the drone and controller. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have that amount of quality drop just to have that lighter kit. But I think the quality looks you know, fine. I'm very happy. It's much better than the original Air, which I've tried. I've tried every drone. <laughs> I, I actually still have the Mini that I'm selling uh, that I got before this drone, and that was very lightweight, uh, very small, but the quality just wasn't there. So I'm, I'm really happy with the Air too. And DJI would like me to make a review, and I think a couple of people are asking for my thoughts, but there's just not too much to say. Like, I don't know, like video and gear reviews just really aren't that fun to me just because I would much rather review uh, a tool by demonstrating what I can do with it. And I've already done that, you know, watch the Alaskan film, which has the drone footage in it and then make the decision yourself. You know, I'm obviously very happy with it if I continue to use it. Uh, so that should be the review right there. <laughs> Um, I would say only two downsides. Uh, one, there's some kind of flickering issue, which I might be able to fix by softening uh, the recording 
footage and uh, maybe some kind of anti-flicker tool in post. It, it's something with the sharpness, I believe. Maybe the uh, it can't be the autofocus. It's got to be the sharpness. And then also the size of the controller. Hot damn! Why the f did they make that controller bigger? <laughs> like I do not understand. Like looking at it, I kind of want to unscrew it and open it up just to see why. Why? Why is it so big? I like that you put the phone. You attach the screen like at the top in a different way, like it's quicker and smarter. But still, Jesus, if I'm going to have such a big controller in this shape, it's like a brick, I might as well just get that really expensive, super awesome screen uh, controller that DJI makes. I tested that with B&H. They sent me out a loaner, but I didn't want to use it even though it was really beautiful and easy to use because it was so big and heavy but here i am with a cheaper more consumer type drone with a bigger controller for no reason like out of every battery that i used on this trip like that controller battery still hasn't dipped below 80 percent like i don't know why you need that much power battery in that controller <laughs> it just doesn't make sense I use the same uh, tripod sticks, uh, Surii, um, with a Joby head. Uh, the same ones that I had for the. Uh, t I need to say it correctly because I've been, <laughs> I've been told I'm an idiot. Uh, Tore, uh, Tor Torres da Pana. I don't. I can't say it. The the Chile hike. Um, same sticks as the Chile hike, and I'm super happy with them. Uh, it's a bit taller than you know, other tripod sticks, but, and I've tried them all. I've tried lots of different combinations. This is the quickest tripod. So start to finish, I can take it out of my pack and then get it top stick in and out uh, with the, the leg joints quicker than most. And that's what I like about it. It's just as light, but it's just a little bulkier, a little taller than other travel tripods. So I'm willing to make that sacrifice. I am in love with this Rode VideoMic NTG with the dead cat. This was one of the first hikes in a while that I've had like good audio, a good microphone correctly dialed in. I was paying a lot of attention to the recording levels and adjusting it accordingly, like if water was flowing or not, basically. And I had a audio jack that wasn't broken. <laughs> Is it really that hard to not have an audio jack that's broken? So with the A7 III, I broke the audio jack, I think three or four times and had to have it repaired at a place in New York, uh, which Sony covered just because I work with them. But still, it was always a, a hassle to lose my camera for a week or two. And fun fact, the reason that this silent hiking film thing all started is because my audio jack broke while on a trip in Canada right before my Iceland film, and I didn't have time to fix it. So in Iceland, I was like, oh man, my audio jack is like messing up i can't use a microphone i'll just use the onboard camera and because i was using the onboard microphone yeah the onboard microphone of the camera i decided to not talk and that's how the silent film started with iceland so a blessing and a curse but i'm super happy to have a good windscreen on a good microphone attached to a camera that fully works now. The sound design in this film is something that I'm proud of. I think a part of the relaxation uh, aspect of it is to be able to hear the footsteps, the wind, the slight wind. There's like good wind and bad wind. Like if you have a crappy microphone with no windscreen, the wind sounds terrible. But if you have wind with a good dead cat and a good microphone dialed in correctly, 
it's a good sound. So that plus the birds and the water. Oh man, I, I think this, this film sounds really good. And I also turned down the recording level of the camera almost to like two or three and then turned up the recording level of the microphone just to pick which preamps are, are working or, or whatever. I don't really know the technical terms, but I think this also made a difference because I did have a microphone for the Hong Kong hike, but the microphone levels were uh, kind of balanced to so like 50-50. And I think there was some background like static. It just didn't sound as good, even though I had a good microphone for that Hong Kong hike. Um, the sound is so much better in this Alaskan one. So we're learning, we're getting better, we're, we're improving, okay? And hey, like I used to say during the wedding days, if it sounds good, it looks good. Audio is super important for good visuals and good storytelling, so I'm happy. My music was all licensed from Musicbed, uh, a mixture of what, Stephen Gunn, Stephen and Alaskan Tapes, and a little Tony Anderson, a, a mix of, of people, but I keep going back to Alaskan Tapes because they are the closest thing that I can get to Minecraft music. Uh, man, if I could just license the music from Minecraft, I would put that in every film. Uh, music was super important for this hike, and I think I nailed it. I'm, I'm very happy with how it turned out. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the bulk of the film was edited with no music without cutting to the beat. And then I just added the music underneath and then slightly adjusted, um, you know, clip transition uh, moments to match very important parts of the track like the pace changes so you may notice that i really wanted subtle you know mood setting tracks to sneak in and out and that that's what you get with minecraft like the music just kind of sneaks in and out depending on what you're doing and i am inspired by video games i think recently i've been playing a couple that really they do music really well like like moments trigger things and then it comes in and out and I didn't want the music levels to overpower the track of the atmosphere of what you hear uh, of the footage, like what happened with the Chile film. Um, I was using the onboard microphone with the RX100 Mark VII for that, and the sound was just not recorded as well as this film. So I definitely relied on the music way more. So that's one of the things that I can do, you know, when I have a good microphone and good sound, uh, I can rely on the natural, was it diegetic, diegetic sounds to be the music of the film rather than relying on the music. I did have strong bookend tracks though. So the intro and the outro are very strong, cut to the beat, um, a bit louder. Uh, just because I, you know, it makes sense. It's bookend. It's like the beginning and end. I need to signal that with the music. Uh, I used like a little bit of a country <laughs> twangy, folky song for the cabin part, which I thought made sense. But everything else was kind of Minecrafty, you know, very subtle, very ambient. And I think overall works really well. And just a little information off to the side, you know, I used to be a music bed uh, ambassador or whatever and have an affiliate program with them, but I am no longer because there was just a misunderstanding, a miscommunication, a mis you know, misalignment more so that they wanted me to sign a non-compete, you know, yearly contract uh, with them to be uh, an ambassador and to have an affiliate uh, program with them. 
Um, but that's something that I, I just don't have to do with anyone else and there's no reason for it to happen. So I didn't feel comfortable locking myself into only promoting uh, music bed as the way that I get music. So that's why I'm not linking uh, their tracks anymore. I'm thinking about maybe doing something with memberships uh, where if you are a YouTube member, you'll have access to like a playlist of every song that I use in order of my films. I think that might be a nice little addition for people, uh, but we'll, we'll see. Probably my biggest fan and best subscriber is my mom. <laughs> she watches all my films and she goes through all of the comments. So anyone leaving a comment, watch out because uh, Mama Jenny, Mama Adams is going to be uh, going through and uh, clapping back to anyone who, uh, any haters. So watch out. She always gives me feedback. <laughs> she always has something to say, which is funny. I like it. Um, she said that she likes when I show bits of personality. You know, she misses the vlogging days. She liked more of the Craig that she knows, outgoing and, and talking. Uh, this silent, you know, moody Craig is definitely a little subdued compared to how I usually am in, in public or with friends and family. So I get it. But she said that she wanted uh, more personality, more little bits. Like she likes it when I look at the camera or make faces or, you know, just the little moments, uh, like in the Alaskan or the Iceland film, when I was walking on the beach and the wave comes up and almost hits me. Like I dance around the wave, like just little tiny moments of personality. So I made an effort to include more of these moments in this video, like getting in the boat, just sharing how I'm feeling more. So like finishing the fire in the cabin, uh, you know, finally getting that going and run every time I run out of breath while blowing up my sleeping mat, I always have like a, like a brain freeze a little bit like a head rush just from blowing up that mat so you can see that twice in this film and man it was so nice to be able to build fires uh you know places in yosemite and most other parks and whatnot you, you can't build fires um so it was nice it was so fun to build fires Overall, I felt really prepared for this hike. Uh, I'm, I'm learning with every single trip that I go on. I'm doing more research. Uh, I feel like I can overcome anything. And I definitely came up across some difficult things like the river crossings and just, you know, losing the trail and having to find it and just being alone for longer. I, I'm getting better and better, but I, I feel like I had the food. I had all of the clothing that I needed for any kind of temperature or weather and bears. Let's talk about bears. So many comments. Uh, a lot of you want to know how to handle bears. Uh, if I ran it, how many I ran into. Um, so you'll see towards the cabin section, um, there's like one bear that's kind of rubbing his back up against trees and then circling the cabin. Uh, that bear actually followed me uh, as I was rowing the boat on the shore for a bit. You know, he disappeared here and there, but I was definitely rowing on the opposite side because I was a little weary that he was there. And bears can swim. They're really good swimmers. So I was trying to <laughs> plan out my attack if the bear just started swimming towards my little rowboat. And let, let's talk about that rowboat. <laughs> uh, a couple comments telling me that I'm an idiot and that I don't know how to row a boat. Hey, smart ass. Um, the 
or attachment to the boat was missing on one side. And you can actually notice there's like a shoelace with a nail attached to one of the oars. And that was to like replace that part, but the nail was broken and it just wouldn't work. So most people don't take this rowboat. Most people don't take a boat to this cabin. It's actually a fly-in cabin, which I didn't realize. Um, but the people on the east side of the lake uh, were like, yeah, a, a couple before you tried to walk to the cabin and they came up across like a, a cliff or a pass that they couldn't get through. So they're like, you you probably can't get to that cabin. And I'm like, I'll just take this boat. And they're like, it's broken. Like you, you can't row with two oars. Like how are you going to get there? It's really long. Um, so I'm like, I'll make do. So that person helped me flip the boat and then... I just set off, you know, with one paddle up at the front, rowing like a canoe. It took about an hour and a half to go one way, which was super long. If I was in a, like a one person kayak, I probably could have done it in 40 minutes very easily. So it was very long, tedious. As you can see, I'm kind of snaking, zigzagging across the lake the entire time, but hey, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was super nice, especially the next morning when the water was so so clear or, or reflective uh, with the morning light the sun was coming out and there were a couple beavers just like playing in the water alongside me and there were loons that were you know swimming alongside so it was a really peaceful time and i was able to get the drone up while rowing which was super cool but anyway back to the bears um i learned a lot about how to deal with bears on this trip. I grew up in the Adirondacks and I've seen and encountered my fair share of bears, you know, in, in towns, in woods while camping. And I had bear spray for this trip. You can see me pull it out. That would be the last ditch effort. The first thing that usually happens is uh, you want to be seen and heard on the trail. You know, you don't want to surprise a bear because that's when incidents usually happen. Most people, especially mountain bikers, will have a jingle bell just so that bears can hear them coming. Uh, a lot of people travel in, in groups, uh, you know, bear attacks usually don't happen and they definitely don't happen with groups uh dogs were to be leashed on this trail i believe or not even allowed i think just because they don't want them chasing around bears a lot of people play music or just chat in groups when they're walking and that's really the best way to prevent bear encounters but the first time that i saw one was just walking down the trail and i saw him like rubbing scratching up on a tree like probably like a hundred yards down the trail. And I just stopped and then started talking to the bear just to let him know that I was there and looked at me and then kind of spooked and just like ran down the trail. And that's usually how it goes. You know, you just make yourself known, you talk to the bear and then they run away because they don't want to mess with you. The bear at the cabin, you know, was kind of looking, snooting around for food and all those clips, they look like I'm pretty close to the bear. That's because I am, but I was shooting through the cabin window, so I was safe. I'm not going to shoot bears that close. That would be pretty dumb. So I was safe in the cabin and that bear actually circled around a couple times and went underneath the cabin at one point and then just like went off along the other side of the lake. The worst case scenario would be if the bear started coming towards me and even though I'm talking to it, it isn't afraid and continues to come. That would be when I try to get big and I increase the volume of my voice and get more aggressive towards the bear. And if that isn't enough to scare it away, that's when I would use the bear spray. And it's like a pepper spray. It's like a, 
a big intense version of pepper spray and you, you make like a wall in front of you and then you spray at the bear's face if it continues to come through the wall. But that should be enough to deter the bear. Uh, you only use it in self-defense if you absolutely have to, because if you're downwind, you know, you could spray yourself and then that would be the worst case scenario. So you cue you hinder yourself as the bear is attacking. <laughs> as I understand, bears rarely attack. And if they do, it's usually at night. So that's the scariest point. A lot of people were like, weren't you scared to be in a tent at night in bear country? And yeah, yeah. You know, if you stop and think about it, and if that's all you're worrying about, sure, it's going to be a little scary at night. Um, but nothing happened. <laughs> I don't know how to explain. It's probably less of a chance than you think. Uh, you know, it's just our own mind making up stories and, and getting us to f be afraid. Um, but everything was fine. I never heard any noises and I was fine. You just got to be smart about where you cook your food, you know, for, far away from where you're sleeping. Uh, you definitely do not want any kind of food or any kind of smelling liquid or material inside your tent you hang that or put it in a bear vault so many people are commenting about the bear box at the campsite uh, that's just the thing like i'm very used to those i didn't know they were that interesting but yosemite has them you know i've seen them in the adirondacks uh yeah that's just to protect your food and stuff uh, from bears i definitely hiked my trail running shoes into oblivion uh, they are still on my feet today and I'm, I'm probably going to use them on this next hike and that'll definitely be the last one but i am a little worried that they're going to fall apart halfway through on this trail they work so well i'm definitely going to get another pair of the same exact type it was really nice having my mini jet boil this is new uh, i've had jet boils before like the iceland hike and uh, chokakira um, but this is like a very small version of those and i think it, it it's great size and weight and now that I'm not cooking anything inside the actual boiling, you know, part, it helps keep things much cleaner. And uh, it's just the way that you should be using a, a trail stove like this. So I was able to cook up some delicious food. I had a bunch of mountain house meals and they're really a luxury now that I've been trying to go stoveless. So now that I use a stove and have these hot meals, it feels I feel like royalty on the trail. It rained when I went over the main pass of the hike, like the main part, but it still looked pretty with like the brown grass and the white snow. It wasn't too bad. Uh, I was prepared for the rain. Uh, if it does rain, it's not the end of the world. And if you have to cross a river with your shoes on, socks on, uh, if the sunlight is out, if you're hiking, it dries off super quickly if you have trail running shoes and thin socks like me. That's also another reason why I don't like boots. Like no boot is going to keep you dry. There's no waterproof boot. Even if you have those big, tall rubber boots, like I was crossing rivers that were way over and would have gotten water inside them. So my mentality, like I shared in my clothing video, is you want clothing and shoes and socks that dry quickly. There was plenty of running water on this trail. You know, it, it had been raining in the first couple of days. So obviously all the streams were full. Um, so there was plenty of water. I only brought like a half a liter bottle as my only thing for water. And that was more than enough. Like I was just filling up streams every so often. 
to be honest, I didn't drink too much, uh, just like straight up water on this because I, it was boiling so much for cooking and had tea and hot chocolate and coffee at almost every meal. That, that's kind of how I was getting hydrated. Oh, and people were asking if the cabin was free or not. It is what they call up here in Alaska a public use cabin that you can reserve. Just for one night, it was about $80, which sounds expensive, but it's like sleeps four or five people. So if you had a group, that's pretty cheap. That's very doable. And it had so much firewood and it had its own kayak or canoe. Um, so, you know, it was a nice little thing. It was just so nice to have a fireplace to dry, especially cause it was raining that night, that evening. And I think it added a nice little like midpoint to the, the first section of the hike. It, it definitely elevated the entire trip for me. The true halfway point of the hike was a lovely little rest stop in Cooper Landing called Wildman's. <laughs> I had such a good burger and free Wi-Fi outlets to charge batteries, the drone batteries, camera batteries, the battery batteries, and supplies for the next leg of the hike, and plenty of dogs. It was actually Memorial Day when I stopped there, so it was very busy. And so many people coming up to get ice cream and food and coffee. So I got to pet all the dogs as they came in because I was out, out on that porch. The people there were so friendly and it was funny seeing so many RVs. After that, I had to walk on the side of the road for a few miles to get to the next trailhead, which, you know, it always sucks, but I made quick work. I, I didn't try to hitchhike, but I probably could have done it. Um, I was just being a little stubborn. I wanted to be able to just do it on my own and, and head down, walk through. The last section of the trail got gradually more difficult to traverse. And I actually lost the trail a few times and had to zigzag until I found it again. It was, it was such a victory to like find the trail again because you go so slow, you get wet. Like I have so many scratches on my legs from twigs and branches. Um, you know, bushwhacking is not for the faint of heart. If I had to go and do like a hundred miles of bushwhacking, it would take me a month. <laughs> like, it would be emotionally and physically draining. Like it makes you appreciate trails so much when you have to bushwhack. But like I mentioned, water crossings, holy crap. I had three major water crossings that increased in difficulty as I went on the hike. And I decided to keep my shoes on and that was a game changer. Before I would take my shoes off, take my socks off, you know, take the pants section of my zip off pants off if I needed to, and then try to ford the river and then dry my feet and put it all back on. That would take forever. So just keeping my shoes on, socks on, and just going across the river was amazing for speed, ease, and it dried off much quicker than I thought. And it's also much safer because anyone who's crossed a river with bare feet quickly realizes that it's very slippery, very dangerous, and that's the worst thing. Like that's how I would really have a really bad accident if I slipped in a river, um, twisted my ankle in a river on a slippery rock or God forbid lost my pack down a river. You know, that would be the end of me. <laughs> I mentioned three river crossings, but if you watch the film, there are only two in the video because the last one was so extreme that I couldn't capture it. So I stripped down to my underwear and I put everything in my pack and then put the pack above my head and then crossed this freezing river uh, and the water came up to my chest and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to, you know, cross it with standing. 
uh, I thought I might have to swim it. So there was just really no option to go back. I, I was really scared at this point. Like it was a very tricky, difficult crossing. So going back to get my camera the traditional way with the previous two crossings just wasn't an option. I thought about putting the drone up just to capture from above while it happened. But then I would also have to put the controller in the bag. And I didn't know how that would work with the joysticks. Like if a button was pressed... I, it was just way too risky. So it was just a me moment. I overcame it and I definitely had like a, a war cry as soon as I got to the, the shore safely. Uh, I was freezing. I was amped up. My adrenaline was going. But once again, in that moment, if my pack fell, it would have been gone. <laughs> it would have been way down the river. It was a very wide river, very deep and uh, flowing quickly. And I, I would have been really messed up. I would have been naked and afraid, <laughs> literally. As soon as I exited the trail, I, uh, a passing RV actually stopped and I got to meet like a happy couple who jumped out. Uh, they told me that they subscribe and they love my videos. So we took a couple selfies and then they got back on their way towards the glacier. And it's just really funny because I hadn't seen anyone in like a full day or two. And then the first 10 seconds that I'm off the trail on the road, you know, these people stop and to say hello. So it was just kind of surreal. Uh, I hitchhiked uh, with another couple, an older couple, um, down the road a couple miles just because I don't want to walk on the road. There's no reason I'm not filming anything. Uh, down to Seward, Alaska, which is a lovely town. You can see a couple clips. I walked around, saw, like, saw the RVs and people camping, fishing, all the birds, really beautiful view, grabbed some coffee, and then made my way to the local airport where John was going to pick me up and take me back to Seldovia. On the way there, though, we flew over the giant ice field. I think you call it an ice field. Um, on top of the mountains over the entire peninsula. And that was just amazing because it was like a beautiful day. So you only do that on clear days. And that was just amazing to see. Like, uh, it's so awe-inspiring to see those things on the, on the ground, but so much more amazing to see them from above. A lot of people ask about like what I think while hiking. Like, what am I thinking about as I'm walking and how do I deal with being alone? You know, there's obviously a lot of the trip that isn't recorded and I always leave little special moments just for myself and don't share them, but it's, it's typical things. Like I, I like having some quiet time to think there were long sections of the hike where I'm just listening to the birds and the sounds of my footsteps and kind of meditating in a sense, like just trying not to think and just being present in the moment. But then I also listen to podcasts, music and audiobooks for longer sections. And when I, when I feel like I need it, I, I always say hello to birds and animals that I encounter like hello bird, like hello porcupine. I did see a couple porcupines on this trip, which were funny. I always say thank you and goodbye to campsites and spots that have helped me out. It might sound crazy, but yeah, I do a healthy amount of talking to myself when I'm out there by on my own. And <laughs> that's just how it is. So uh, yeah, I, I think I covered most of everything that I wanted to share. And then a couple questions that I saw reoccurring on uh, the YouTube comments after I upload the video. I think it's currently at 50,000 views within the first 24 hours here, which is 
really, really great. I'm, I'm happy with the outcome of this video. So I think that's being reflected in, in the feedback from all of you watching it, sharing it with people on, on Instagram, on your stories. I love it when people sit down, you know, with their loved one or their dog and cat uh, with coffee in hand and carve out space in their schedule to watch my films. I really do try to make these as well as possible and take the time uh, to perfect every every second. Like I don't want to waste anyone's time. I hope that they're relaxing and they bring some kind of uh, calming feeling to you when you watch. And I definitely want them to be something that you make time for. You sit down and watch on a, a big TV in a comfortable spot with someone that you care about and uh, relax and watch. I feel pretty good. Uh, I'm looking out at the uh, skies. I think the weather might be clearing up a little bit, so I'm gonna go drive around and, and scout and see if I can do this next hike. But like I mentioned, definitely heading down to the West Coast or California next, and uh, I'll keep you posted about what's next. But I'm very optimistic about you know, the country opening back up, at least domestically a little bit. So I think more hikes are on the way. I would definitely like to do a couple different sections of Utah, Oregon, Washington, Montana. Uh, so you can look forward to those coming up real soon. At least this year, this spring, summer, and fall, Americans are going to be traveling domestically. So I think that's gonna be my focus for the next couple of months. But thank you so much. If you're still listening, that's pretty awesome. Like I really appreciate you uh, first watching my videos and then second caring about the, the planning and the behind the scenes of all the work that I put into it because it may not be self-evident the amount of work that uh, went into making these. So I, I hope this brought some kind of value and, and insight into that. But thank you for listening and uh, take care.